the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. Grab 40% off that first year subscription. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Trinetti. Happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day weekend. Sneaking in a show here before we uh, get out there to barbecue a little bit, but it's an, obviously it's a big NFL week. Cousin Dan did a great piece for us on SpotTrek.com, basically bridging the gap between <laughs> the, the fantasy world that he's been living in for the past month, which is drafting seven, eight leagues, DFS lineups, things like that, versus which guys really have the most to play for right now in terms of actual dollars and cents. So just a quick rundown of the players he's identified, which I completely agree with. I actually added two more to this brief but strong list of uh, you know guys that are going top 10, guys who are maybe in the sixth round, guys who are maybe later than that, that he believes hold some value this year. And then that value in turn is going to turn into what could be reckless spending this offseason. So I'll, I'll hit that in a second. And, uh, and then the other docket on the item today... <laughs> His positional spending, top cap hits the works. Let's let's preview this NFL season, financially speaking, in terms of which teams are spending the most where, which teams did spend the most this offseason, where are the high cap hits, what do those high cap hits mean, why are they there? Very different reasoning for some. And we'll get ready for uh, final depth charts and final cuts and initial 53s, which are actually 55s because of those extra two guys you can pull up from the practice squad. and. We'll see what happens in terms of some late movement, right? There's going to be some teams that have to shed some cap space. Does that mean restructures? Does that mean trades in the final week of the offseason? Very, very possible in a couple of instances. But we'll kind of run through some of those numbers here to get us uh, ready for week one. All right, Cousin Dan's piece. Starts with quarterbacks here, of course. What else would we be talking about here with five days before the season? Lamar Jackson's the big name. We've talked about him quite a bit. We've talked about him with some guests. You've got my take on this. The, the one thing I'll say to this that I, I, I put in the piece, but Dan brought some good numbers. We can bring all the numbers we want. Lamar Jackson doesn't even need to play this year to get another contract. He's done plenty. You can put him up against Kyler. You can put him up against Russell Wilson. You can put him up against whatever you need to do. Derek Carr, certainly. All these guys have got nice paydays over the past couple of months. And he's got the resume. Got the, he's got the resume. He's the right age. Yeah, there's a there's probably an injury hit, you know, risk because of the kind of player that he is. But this is a guy that's going to total five thousand yards from scrimmage again this year, as long as he's healthy. It's a team that I think can certainly can compete in that division. I would bet them to win the AFC North if I could right now. I would bet on him. And again, he doesn't need to do this if if it ends up being a Dak Prescott situation where he's injured. They're going to slap that franchise tag on him, like Joe Corey mentioned last show. It's probably going to be the $45 million tag, which is going to put some pressure from a cap perspective on the Baltimore Ravens to get this thing done. And, and well, by the way, if it doesn't, the double tag is going to be 52, 53. We're talking $100 million for two years of franchise tags. If Baltimore doesn't want to go that route and they don't want to fully guarantee a contract, they will find a team that will, whether that's Atlanta, whether that's Chicago, whether that's, you know, TBD, they will find a team. That, that is willing to give him the contract that he is, he's asking for because that's the position he plays, okay? That's just the world we live in. Um, very different story, but the other name on this list is Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, it's a Trubisky kind of carbon copy here, which Dan notes nicely. Baker's a much more talented player than Mitch Trubisky, but Trubisky could go out there for six weeks, 
and game manage a really good Pittsburgh Steelers roster. And Baker Mayfield can do more than that because he has the ability when he's healthy to sort of be an X factor in games. And I don't think Trubisky is that kind of player. I don't think he ever was even coming into the draft, despite where he was selected. So there are some playmakers in this Carolina team, three solid wide receivers. I think the tight ends lack a little bit of productivity in terms of pass catching ability, but it's a solid offensive line too, which is something Baker has struggled with in the past in Cleveland. He's got the right keys. Can he turn that and open the door? That's what we're asking him to do here. Can he stay healthy? Is that shoulder you know, fully repaired at this point? How can he, can he take and translate some of the Cleveland offense that he had, obviously, Chubb and Kareem Hunt out of the backfield and turn that into successful situation with Christian McCaffrey? Yes. No question in my mind that Matt Rule and that offense are going to look and smell a little bit like the Cleveland offense did because there was maybe a one-and-a-half-year run there where Baker was really successful, like really turning a corner. We had some real thoughts about him getting that contract. He can make himself a viable starting option here. And Carolina is the perfect place for this because they are sick and tired of looking every year for their next quarterback option. If he even shows a sniff, is it going to be Blake Bortles where they offer him $18 million a year for three years? Are they simply just going to say, we'll give you a franchise tag and, you know, you think, if you think you can do better elsewhere, maybe we'll explore a trade. But we'd like to see one more year with this thing come together. We'll add some more pieces around it. And we're willing to pay you the 30 and change on the tag to get this thing done. That's probably where we're headed if Baker is successful this year. And what is successful? I don't know. Winning record? You know, stays healthy, looks competent. I don't think he needs to do much. I really don't. I mean, they're paying him chump change in terms of what that $18 million was starting the starting point. So... I don't think he has to do too much here to get himself at least to the franchise tag point. Jalen Hurts is my honorable mention player. He's a top five quarterback in fantasy right now. And that's why he's here. Because if you haven't drafted yet, and one of my drafts is tonight, and it's a standard league draft where he won't be as prominent of a player. And I'm interested to see where he ends up. Is he a top five player in all facets? Are, Are we projecting him to be one of the top five best quarterbacks in the NFL at the end of this year? And I think most of the people that are, aren't just looking at him specifically. They're looking at the whole package. They're looking at everything that Philadelphia has done from putting together what could be the best offensive line in football to retaining slash adding to the defensive line to getting, you know, a starting secondary player literally three days ago from New Orleans. Certainly the A.J. Brown trade, certainly back-to-back moves. In, in, in big draft picks in, sec- in the second and third rounds over the past couple of years to supplant that. And they've got four or five running backs, all with competent abilities to go out there and give them three downs. So I, I just think everywhere you look, Jalen Hurts has been upgraded. Now, can he upgrade, <laughs> right? Can he take that next step? And if he does, this will be year three, which means he's eligible for the extension next year. If the rest of the team, the organization has gone all in around him, don't they then have to go all in on him? I, that makes sense to me. And by the way, they did this with Carson Wentz, even though he wasn't the guy at the end of the day at the Super Bowl. So there's, there's a precedence for them to just say, we're all in everywhere, no matter what. The Rams have been doing this. I believe the Philadelphia Eagles will continue to do this. So if he at least lives up to this hype, it doesn't have to be a Joe Burrow type year. It doesn't even have to be a Lamar type of year. He doesn't have to win the MVP. But he's got to be able to hold his own with the roster that they put around him. And if that's two rounds in the playoffs, so be it. I think they're going to have to turn around and pay him. Kyler money. 
right? I mean, isn't that where we're headed here? I, I think that's where we're headed. And, and you know, I'm assuming that Lamar goes past them. Herbert goes past them. Um, Burrow goes past him. But he'll be in that second tier if he does his job this year. So he's in this, he's in this list. Running backs, a little bit different conversation here. I'm not talking so much about the young guys who haven't yet been paid, which is what those quarterbacks were. I've got Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones in this list for very, very different reasons. So Derrick Henry, as many of you know, and we talked about it in the last episode, the Tennessee Titans sweetened his pot a little bit, gave him $2 million cash from next year's salary this year, restructured things a bit. So they actually saved over $5 million of cap space. So obviously a good move for them and good news for Derrick Henry. What does that mean, though? It means his 2023 cap hit is now $15.75 million, which is probably not going to fly. It can fly. They can leave it alone and just let this thing ride out. But in my opinion, what they've done now is a warning shot that something is going to give next February. Is it a release? Is it a trade? Possible. If it, That's a non-guaranteed 2023, right? You can make that uh, a restructure in terms of a, get them in the door and then we'll make it where we need to be. That's possible. I think maybe the most likely situation, though, is he's still Derrick Henry by Christmas. We're still talking about him putting this team on his shoulders and, and running, you know, averaging 170 yards or whatever the hell he's going to do. And if that's the case, they're just going to restructure this thing and give him an extra year, guarantee next year, maybe guarantee some of 2024, even though that's 30 years old, it's where we're going to be. So I think we're headed towards some, I mean, I'm positive we're headed towards some sort of contractual change with Derrick Henry. But whether that's a positive or a negative for Tennessee remains to be seen. And certainly that's kind of his, his destiny. He can go out there and produce himself uh, maybe an extra year or two on this contract from a guaranteed standpoint. And it's identical to Aaron Jones. Now, the difference between Aaron Jones is Aaron Jones has much more term left on his contract, right? This was a bigger contract, a more traditional contract. So he's got two years and $28 million left on this thing after 2022. but. It's pay-as-you-go, which is standard stuff for the Packers contracts. There's $16 million cash built into next year. It's a $20 million cap hit next year because of restructure this year. So, yeah, Green Bay can deal with it. They can just simply convert the roster bonus next March into signing bonus and, and drop that cap hit down to a tenable 13-14. Sure, you can definitely make that work. But my guess is that they had 2022 as the pencil line which is where we have the potential off, right? Because the contract and the guarantees basically fall off the floor after this season. So my thinking is Green Bay with A.J. Dillon heading into an expiring contract next year would basically just say, we're just going to give Dillon the keys. We're going to lop the Jones contract off. Maybe he's tradable. I would assume he's tradable despite the age. And somebody can convert that. And if not, we're just going to outright release him before that roster bonus hits. Maybe we bring him back on a restructured contract. Maybe he goes out and gets overpaid by somebody. But I, I have a feeling that when this contract was initially signed a year and a half ago, this was the line of demarcation, 2022, even though that's just two years into the contract. Because of Dylan, because of the age, because of the position, yada, yada, yada. Now, he can go out there. And what I believe, and what Dan and I have talked about quite a bit, is... He goes out there and becomes Aaron Jones, Aaron Rodgers' right hand man. You know, no more Devontae. It's a, it's a bit of a, it's a very young offensive package in front of him outside of Alan Lazard, who's, I don't think, ready to take that step forward. And we'll talk about him in a second. 
And if not, Aaron Jones is going to be the release valve. He's going to be the release valve. They're going to have plays and offensive schemes built for him specifically because of the experience. And he's just going to be the check down release valve, which is going to add production and production and production. So are they going to be the team that shops or releases a player who could be a top five running back at the end of this year based on the, the fit, the scheme, the need, and the experience? It's a very interesting situation because he does have contractual term left. But like Henry, a cap hit, the cash flow, things like that, the, that those are the kind of things that, sh- that throw red flags out to me that say the team is probably going to reconsider this but he can play himself into a situation that makes it more uncomfortable. There's no question about that. Wide receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster. He's going higher in drafts than I think a lot of people want in fantasy. But as Dan mentions here in the article, and please check it out on spytrack.com, at the end of the day, there just isn't a wide receiver on that roster for Patrick Mahomes that has the pedigree that Smith-Schuster does. We have a bad taste in our mouth on this guy because of the last year in Pittsburgh when Ben was just in the middle of the decline. It, it was happening before our eyes. And then last year with the injury, where we didn't get a, an actual real look at Juju plus Patrick Mahomes. We, really we haven't had that project unfold in front of us yet. Now we're, we're going to. And obviously I'm knocking on wood that the injury bug doesn't come back to him. Because if it doesn't, there's a reason he's being drafted like he's being drafted. It's a great offensive line. There's Travis Kelsey for protection. Skymore, the rookie, could break out and could be on this list sooner rather than later here. But all those things combined, plus Patrick Mahomes, should mean this guy gets back to peak Pittsburgh juju, which was 111 grabs, 1,500 yards, seven, eight touchdown catches. You know, we're talking about minimum, on average, over his prime there in Pittsburgh, it was 100, 100 grabs, eight touchdowns. There's a very real world where Patrick Mahomes and him become this one-two package, this one-two punch. And he becomes somewhat of a Devontae Adams type, where it's just, I'm just going to rely on this guy. He's going to be my go-to guy, even if Kelsey's still there. So there's no question that him on a one-point, you know, a a one-year $3 million contract plus incentives already holds value. What I want to say about this, though, is this. And Joe Corey, who I had on the last show, will he said this quite a, quite a bit. Many of the people I talked to who have bounced in and out of the agent world or the front office world say this out loud constantly. The second you accept a payment, that becomes your value. So while it's in good faith that he returned to Kansas City on a one-year $4 million contract plus incentives, he has now said out loud that he is willing to play for the Kansas City Chiefs for $4 million plus incentives, <laughs> okay? And that's now set a precedence. It's so rare. And I understand what AG is, and, and maybe he's going to be the unicorn in all of this, but it is extremely rare for a guy to have situations unfold like they did, unfortunately, with the Pittsburgh decline and the injury last year, to go from that contract, this showcase contract, back up to the top of the market. So to go from four to 25 million a year, it's just not something this league does. Owners have too much control of this league. It's just not the player empowerment league that many of these other sports are turning into. It's just not. I'm not going to say it's not possible, but especially if he's going to stay in Kansas City after this 2022 season. If, if the plan is to stick with Mahomes, just don't expect 25, 30 million a year for Juju Smith-Schuster. 
he's probably on Robbie Anderson's path now. You know, a guy who's been, he just ran into bad luck. Bad quarterbacks, bad offensive coordinators. He's a hell of a player. Maybe he takes an upgrade with Baker Mayfield. I don't know, right? There's a chance he's on this list here too in some capacity. But even if Juju goes out there and goes 1,200, 10 touchdowns, that doesn't necessarily automatically mean, well, now they got to send him to four for 100. Just doesn't because he's accepted four. So is it, does he get three times that? Maybe, maybe, you know? Is he signing three for 75? No, but is it three for 50? Probably. That's all I'm trying to prepare you for. It is very rare that a guy goes all the way down and then comes all the way back up. Now, by the way, the Chiefs did this with Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew signed his showcase contract to Houston, one for seven-ish, I think, and then maxed him out as the top free agent safety on the market. So they are a team that has done this in the past, and it obviously worked out. Will they do this at this position when they basically just punted on paying top of the market for a top of the market wide receiver in, in Tyreek Hill? It's just something to keep an eye on. So while, yes, I do believe this guy is in the perfect situation to have a renaissance and come back, that doesn't necessarily mean that Kansas City is going to say, great, now you're, now you're four for 100. That's all. DJ Shark signed uh, away from Jacksonville to Detroit, becoming one of those pieces that I think will really contribute in Detroit, even though Jared Goff isn't much of an upgrade. Similar, he took a showcase deal here, one for 10. And uh, I think that's just going to be who he is. Maybe he gets a, a multi-year guarantee if he performs properly, but there are some serious weapons there now. And Hawkinson's on this list as well in terms of the tight ends. There's some serious weapons. Can, can Jared Goff, can this coaching staff figure out how to unlock this all and make it all work at one time in synchronicity. Maybe. And, and he's a player. He showed some real promise before the disaster that was Urban Meyer last year. So I, I certainly give him an opportunity to step forward. But again, it's another showcase contract that basically values him now, at least for the next few seasons. I mentioned Alan Lazard was on this list. It's no secret that he's the more experienced option for Aaron Rodgers now, alongside of Sammy Watkins, alongside of Randall Cobb and certainly with the running backs. But, you know, Dan kind of lays this out tonight. Even if he does get objectively more opportunities, right, if the targets are up 50%, is he really this player, you know? Or is he simply outperforming the old version of him because he has to in a system that he is 120% comfortable with. And then the second he gets out of this system and goes to the open market and gets signed by Carolina, right? At way more money than he should. This year's version of Christian Kirk, right? Is he just being set up to fail out there? I think that's probably a pretty good assessment. And that is the assessment that Dan makes here. In fact, he calls it the worst value 2023 free agent contract already, right? <laughs> it's, it's safe to say that could happen, especially if he gets inflated numbers from the Rodgers situation this year. And that doesn't mean he's not a great player. It just means he's in this, the perfect situation to take that step forward. And if he were to leave and jump ship for a couple extra dollars, he would be basically starting at square one. And that's where he doesn't match up well with true WR1s. Starting over physically. Mentally, the works. Just the, you know, public service announcement for where this could be headed in 2023. <laughs> Tight ends. 
I got to get the Bills on this list because they're about to have what we think it could be a historically great offensive season. Dawson Knox might be, what, the seventh option on this list. There's some clear visibility, some clear compatibility with Josh Allen. I don't know that, you know, that the tight end position is going, going to ever be massively, massively utilized, although this is a new offense. Ken Dorsey has taken much from Brian Dable from what I've heard, but he's certainly going to put his own wrinkles on this thing. But there's clear chemistry. And that's really all you need to know for a guy entering the contract, a contract year here, expiring contract for Knox. He's going to be a top 10 production slash value player. He's also going to be a very popular player. The Bills are on primetime quite a bit. He's a big personality. Like I said, the, the connection with the quarterback is not just obvious, but being market, it's marketable. It's being promoted which means he's going to have his face out there. Not unlike the George Kittle stuff. George Kittle's extremely marketable, huge personality. That stuff matters at the end of the day. And uh, he's going to have his face tagged all over this Bills team, even though he might have 30 catches over the first six, seven weeks. That's just how this is going to work. So just look for this guy to be kind of the poster, one of the poster boys for this Bills offense that's going to be high-flying, exciting, bettable, the works and on primetime television quite a bit. Generally, that leads to nice money. You know, good production, good popularity, good payday. Does he stay in Buffalo? I don't know. Do you want to ruffle the feathers of that QB1? Because that's what you'd be doing by letting this guy walk. I think for now, even if he goes out there and has a Dallas Goddard-type season, which isn't crazy, I think he's following Dalton Schultz's footsteps. He's just a tag candidate and nothing more at this point. And that's perfectly fine. It's good pay for him. He's, he gets one more year inside of this Bills offense that will, will be in contention again next year. So I don't know that the multi-year contract is coming here. But in two years, it'll be a debate. Right now, it's not. Because they have the, uh, the opportunity to franchise tag him and see where things go after that. Different situation. Foster Moreau in Las Vegas, who's sitting behind Darren Waller, who has some injuries leading into week one and we think is about to get a new contract. He signed Drew Rosenhaus. That generally means the highest average paid contract at his position is forthcoming. I would expect that to be coming as soon as he's healthy enough to make that kind of announcement. Maybe that's week two. Maybe that's week six. Maybe they look at the situation and, and the Rosenhaus crew says, let's just wait on this. Let's just punt on this. We've got time to, to, to figure things out. And by the way, the Raiders may look at Foster Moreau and say, well, we got this guy and he's on an expiring contract. So we don't really have to play hardball with Darren Waller, who is a great player, a top three, four production tight end in the league and has been. I think maybe they're understanding that both of these guys together in Josh McDaniel's system, which we expect to have plenty of two tight end sets, could be extremely valuable to the entire offense. That also has Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams and a couple of running backs that can get out of the backfield. So there's going to be a, a world where Foster Moreau's numbers look way better than many expect. He's a good value pick in fantasy for this reason. And then that's the perfect candidate, right? It's Alan Lazard all over again. He hits the open market because Darren Waller has got a three-year guarantee. He hits the open market. Somebody jumps on him, pays him Johnny Smith money, and the contract goes to die somewhere else. So another red flag situation for me, but a nice player in a really good spot right now to have inflated numbers. Okay, there's your fantasy notables headed for possible big paydays in the, in the next offseason. My thanks to Cousin Dan for uh, great work on all that research and, and breakdown for me.
Let's break down some of the, the team stuff heading into the NFL season here. All right, just straight cap. The active 53s that we have on SpyTrack.com as of Sunday and Monday here. Chargers 1, Chiefs 2, Colts 3. No surprises. Chargers and Chiefs have been aggressive. Colts have been extremely aggressive, if not this offseason, but the past couple offseasons, and really ramping up their notable position players. So if there's your top three in cap. Bottom three shouldn't surprise you either. Falcons, Browns, Bears. Now the Brown stuff, you have to remember that does not include Deshaun Watson, who is not on the active roster right now, even though his cap hit is, would be $10 million only this year. But those are your bottom three. Texans are down there. Raiders are still down there because a lot of their contracts are brand new and come with low year one cap hits. And then Panthers, Seahawks. I mean, that's your bottom feeders, which you can understand. That's kind of the way we, we see them from a betting perspective as well. The dead cap leaders, I've tweeted this quite a bit over the offseason because it's a very fluid situation. Houston recently just overtook the Falcons. So these two teams have been neck and neck basically all offseason. And obviously Houston's deal includes Deshaun Watson, dead cap, Zach Cunningham's dead cap, you know, Shaq Lawson. I mean, big, big names that have just been turned over from that previous regime that are no longer, uh, you know, they're afterthoughts to this current Houston Texans team. So while the active cap is low, the dead cap is very high, both in Atlanta and Houston. Atlanta's dealing with big, a big dead hit from Matt Ryan, one of the biggest dead hits in the history of the game. In $40.5 million, and tack on Julio Jones at $15.5 million. You're talking over $56 million of dead cap for two superstar players that no longer play for this organization. That's what it deals with. That's what a hard salary cap with dead cap has to handle on a year-to-year basis. And that's why the Atlanta Falcons are where they are in the odds, in the division, things like that. And, you know, the over-under wins. There's certainly some talent on this roster, but the $65.4 million of dead cap is really holding things back right now, and they understand it. Deion Jones' contract slash injured reserve situation is another factor in terms of their finances being held down a little bit. But we've seen teams go through this and then immediately flip the switch the year after. And I expect Atlanta to be extremely aggressive this offseason in this regard because they ripped the bandit off with Brian and with Julio Jones very, very quickly, and they're taking it all on this year. So again, dead cap leaders, Houston, Atlanta, the Bears, very similar with Khalil Mack and things like that. The Eagles, just because they do what they do. I mean, they've got void years that, that hit the cap. They've got restructures left and right. They're pushing things down the line. They're just constantly in this conversation because of how they operate. They operate high at the dead cap, high in the active cap. They just kind of live right up against it 100% of the time. And I kind of appreciate that because it's got to be really hard to do. Your, your, your low dead cappers, the Chargers are the lowest, the Jets, the Commanders, the Colts, the Bengals. The Bengals and the Colts will be there every year until I stop doing this for a living. <laughs> That's just how they do their cap. They are clean. They are, they are traditional. Now, does that change with Joe Burrow's big contract and a couple of option bonuses? Maybe. You know, they may have to take on some serious proration with Chase and with Higgins and with Burrow and things like that. But for now, they're sticking to the old school, and it's been beneficial in this regard alone. Age. Brady's age skews big, but Tampa Bay is the, the oldest team in football because of it. There's a couple of older guys in that roster as well. It's not just him. But Bucks, Patriots, Saints are your oldest rosters by, I don't know, you know, one year. The Browns, the Lions, and the Jaguars are your youngest. So again, if you, if you, if you root for the Jacksonville Jaguars, 
they're not dumping veteran contracts and taking them off other teams and just saying, well, maybe we can just make it work by just plugging and playing. There's a, there's a planning process. And you can say the same thing about Detroit. Detroit's not taking on bad contracts. In fact, they, they were willing to get rid of Trey Flowers' disgusting contract in order to make sure that they could have as much youth as possible to understand what this core was going to look like and even build out that core this year and build upon what they saw last year, which had some real, real strong positives. So I give those two teams credit. Dallas and the Giants, in my opinion, those two teams are too young. I think they're letting too many veterans go. You know, the Giants are doing it because they're not successful. I think Dallas had too many subtractions this offseason. I think they could stand to use some experience in linebackers, some experience in the defensive line, certainly some more experience in the offensive line now with all these injuries and retirements. But I just think they're playing with fire right now, and, and maybe that division might be slipping away from them in front of them. Positional spending. One of, my, one of my favorite things to target almost every single week because I update these depth charts every week. Um, so if we're just talking average salary, right, which I think is in this regard the, the fairest way to assess this because with cap restructures and all that mess, it's just a better indication of who has paid, who has not paid, who's living and breathing off of rookie contracts, things like that. Um, we have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams who are living with all of their quarterbacks combined under $10 million on average. Just nine. <laughs> all right. That means there's lots that are over 10 and plenty that are over 20. And, you know, there's still 10 that are over 30. And that's just where we are with this position. That's, for many teams, three quarterbacks. The Philadelphia Eagles now have Jalen Hurts, Gardner Minshew, Ian Book, and Reed Snett at $3.2 million. It's insane what they're doing right now. I know there's some practice squad situations happening there, but even if it's just Hurts and Minshew, they're in a really good spot from an average salary standpoint, obviously. And that's what I mean. That just can't last if this team becomes a division winner and, you know, a conference, possibly a conference champion's appearance. They're going to have to pay Hurts because they paid everybody else. Because everywhere else, they're jacked up and loaded. Everywhere else. If we're talking about running backs, obviously it's the Browns still with the Chubb and Hunt situation, which appears to be on a one-and-done scenario. The Saints with Kamara and Mark Ingram, they're second. They're the only two teams with $20 million invested on an average salary in their running backs right now. You know, the Patriots are down at $3 million for all their running backs combined on an average salary. $3 million. We've got a bunch of teams that, com- that all in combined, in fact, half the league right now, is paying, on average, less than $10 million for all of their running backs, on average. So there's your proof of where this position has gone. It's right there in the pudding. Wide receivers is a very different story. You have certain teams, about half the league's paying 30. If I had, if I had to eyeball a league average right now, it looks to be about 30 for an average salary combined for every receiver on the roster. Now, Tampa Bay's at 55. That's obviously Godwin and Evans, and even Russell Gage to some degree. Um, the Raiders just re-upped with Renfro and Adams. They're second in the league, and the Rams now with Robinson and Cup are third in the league. So plenty of high-paid positions. This was obviously the biggest positional pay of the year, but there are some teams still trying to nickel and dime this. The Ravens situation is talked about quite a bit with Lamar. They're the lowest-paying wide receiver team in football, $7.2 million for combined average salaries of all the Ravens wide receivers right now. Now, Mark Andrews, 
you know, in terms of the tight end, is their pass catcher. He is their wide receiver right now, let's be honest. They're second in tight end pay. So it is a bit of an offset there. But if we're talking about just wide receivers, your bottom three are Ravens, Colts, and Bears. Again, the Ravens and Colts expect to be division winners. So um, they're playing with fire. They're going with a process that they think can work, which is we'll take the young talent, we'll groom it, we'll make it work for our quarterback situation. Two very different ones there, by the way. And we've seen it work. I can't, t- I can't go out there and say this is the wrong way to do business because we've seen this work. So just a note to have it out there that many of the teams at the bottom of this list are going to be your bad teams, the Bears, the Falcons, the Lions, you know, et cetera. But there's a lot of teams that decided not to pay this position. A lot. And Ravens and Colts down at the bottom. Cardinals are in the bottom five. Chiefs and Cowboys are in the bottom 10. Packers in the bottom 10. You know, the teams that let Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams walk and Amari Cooper walk. And certainly with DeAndre Hopkins in suspension mode, Arizona's going to start this season, the quarter, first quarter of the season, extremely cheap at this position. Tight ends kind of offset this a little bit. Like I said, Baltimore is second. But many of these other teams we've talked about, they're just not paying this position. Cincinnati didn't pay it. You know, Miami kept the tag. Dallas kept the tag. It's just becoming that kind of situation right now. So this one's one to watch because this market desperately needs to get reset at the tight end position. I do think Darren Waller will from an average salary standpoint, but you know me, that's like, well, I'm not going to give the metaphor. Let's hope the guarantees increase as rapidly as these other positions have because obviously the wide receiver guarantees took a big step forward. Many of the offensive linemen guarantees are, are where we need to be now, in my opinion, including the guards and the centers. But this position specifically needs an upgrade. And uh, some of these guys that I think are franchise tag bound, hopefully they take a little less per year with a little bit more percentage guaranteed to understand that this is what the position needs from them. Offensive line. Who's got the highest paid offensive line in football? Well, I already mentioned it. It's Philadelphia. And Cleveland's second. And if you, if you look at the work that those two organizations have done to vamp up these lines, it's no surprise, and they both should be successful because of it. The Patriots are dead last. And by the way, this is nothing new. They live and die by being quick out of the gate, by having shifty, gimmicky offensive schemes. I don't know who's calling those plays this year for them, but certainly they do. But your bottom paying offensive lines right now, on average, Patriots, Cowboys, Seahawks, Bears, Giants. Again, not great news if you're a Dallas fan, in my opinion because that's not a list you want to be on with those teams in 2022. Defensive line, the Eagles are the highest paid here as well. Raiders second, Colts third. And if we're going to the bottom, yes, Tennessee's there, but with Jeffrey Simmons needing $25 million a year, that's not going to be for long, in my opinion, unless they take a major step back organizationally and end up trading him. Then they'll stay right where they are, dead last in defensive line spending. Broncos are second last, Ravens are third just two teams who really have never done this. And they just never have interior linemen. Edge rushers, sure. Bradley Chubb needs a contract, et cetera, et cetera. Baltimore has been very kind of creative with how they brought in their edge rushers in the past. Many, really, maybe the last two were either acquired via trade or late free agent signings like Justin Houston. That's how they've been kind of living and dying. You don't see many high draft picks turn into big contracts at those franchises. And Arizona just let Chandler Jones walk. So they're at the bottom of this list as well. Linebackers, edges and interiors. Chargers lead the way. That's a Bosa Max situation, obviously. 
Chiefs are dead last this year in this. They went young with Nick Bolton. Frank Clark did a good restructure for them. We'll see what happens in that regard. Bengals are also right down the list. I mean, if you're talking about the linebacker position versus teams in contention, you want to be down at the bottom because it's Raiders, Bengals, Chiefs, Ravens, Browns. Just a lot of uh, strong teams decided to turn this position over, mostly from the off-ball position. Um, you know, but there's teams that are living and dying by this. I think San Francisco does well with this position. Pittsburgh obviously does well with this position. And they're going to win some games because they have guys there being paid well. No question about it. Flip to the secondaries. We'll finish off here. The highest-paid secondary in football is Baltimore, followed by the Saints, and the Chargers, Packers, and Seahawks. And all that makes sense to me. Those organizations have valued these kind of positions for a long, long time. And again, these are positions that these teams generate wins from. And I believe the Saints and Ravens will do that quite a bit this offseason. And I hope the Chargers do, because I think the Asante Samuel, Derwin James situation, and now J.C. Jackson, if he's healthy, can really be something special out there, especially in that high-flying division. Bottom of the pack in terms of defensive back spending. Raiders, Falcons, Chiefs, Giants, Bucks. Super fascinating. Three legitimate contenders in the bottom five. I mean, that's fascinating because it's a passing league. And for instance, the Raiders, <laughs> right? You don't want to look around the quarterbacks coming to town on an annual basis there because that could get ugly fast if they have missed on their young or cheap acquisitions. That could get ugly fast. So certainly something to monitor there with them at the bottom of this list. Okay, you've heard me talk enough. Any questions about rankings and things like that, I'm happy to answer them at Spotrack on Twitter. I'll be back probably in a few days here, Wednesday-ish, with a true preview. We'll go through some of the matchups, some of the bets, some stuff from some more stuff from Cousin Dan, and he's put together some great research heading into this season. And maybe a Lamar Jackson contract to talk about. Real quick before I go, I'll do a, a small, small breakdown on Russell Wilson's deal, um, even though I, I alluded to quite a bit of it with Joe Corey last week. Um, pretty standard stuff with the exception of a triple bonus. Signing bonus this year, option bonus next year, option bonus in 2024. So three different versions of signing bonus proration in Russell Wilson's contract. What does that do? It increases the dead cap immensely, which means when they restructure him again, it's going to increase even more. They're not worried about it, obviously. Should they be? I'm not going to be objective yet, but should they be? 34-year-old Russ, He's going to make $57 million this year. He's going to make 85 through 2, 124 through 3. All of that is fully guaranteed right now, the second he signed it, all the way through 2024. 2025 locks in in March of 2024, which puts this at four years, $161 million, basically fully guaranteed. There's no workout bonuses. There's no roster bonuses, not until later in the, in the contract. Like I said, it's signing bonus, option bonus, option bonus, and decent base salaries to boot. Pretty, pretty standard stuff for the first four years. Then it gets a little funky because the cap hits start approaching 60 million. They will once you have some restructures built into this. Um, there's an injury guarantee in 2026 that doesn't really vest, but could, especially because he's 38 and you know likes to move around a little bit. So it gets a little scary after 2025, but really the only thing we need to know about right now is for the next four years and 161 million, Russell Wilson is guaranteed this money. That's all we need to know. Okay. All right. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription. Have a great Labor Day, everybody. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track.